Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Coaching Confidence. Today, I'm joined by two longtime friends, none other than Niall and Onam Lansana. They have began playing soccer, transitioned from players to coaches, and now we're sitting down today to have a great conversation about just some of our inspirations, some of the ups and downs that we've come through, and just our overall journey being Black Americans playing a predominantly Black sport, however, not that case in America. So let's have a great conversation. Here we go. First off, I just want to say thank you guys for joining me here. Um, we're going to start off with just a little bit of a, a round of introductions. I'm going to have you guys go first since you're the guests. And uh, let's kick it off. Thank you. Word. Uh, first of all, thank you for having us. My name is Niall Lansama. Pronouns are he, him, his. I'm from the south side of Chicago. Uh, I have playing since I was three years old. Uh, my favorite team is FC Barcelona. Uh, my first ever favorite player is Ronaldinho, and like now uh, it's Xavi. Xavi is like I think the biggest inspiration how I think about the game, how I think about coaching, how I think about playing. Uh, and my, I grew up playing defense, playing center back and right back, and center defensive mid. And I started coaching like officially when I was 15, unofficially when I was 14. Uh, I coached like a rec league team that when I played on when I was 14, it was like the dads were like, they signed on on the page, but I was running the sessions, I was coaching the games, I was doing anything. And then I got uh, my e formerly known as the e-license, uh, the same class as Stokely uh, when I was 15 and I've been coaching ever since. And now I'm a club coach for Chicago Kicks FC. And I co-coach the 2014s and 2015s with Dan Johnson and now with my brother Ona. So how old are the 2014 and 2015 teams? Uh, so seven, six, seven, and eight-year-olds. We have like a couple six-year-olds, but primarily seven, eight-year-olds. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, what's the word? My name's Ona Monsanto. Um, I also um, have been playing soccer most of my life. I play like I don't. Oh my god, I don't remember exactly when I started playing. It just always seemed like we had a ball around or a ball like somewhere in the house. Um, I grew up playing forward. Um, my biggest inspiration and favorite player was Didier Drogba. Um, had to have a pair, a clean pair of Mercurials at the every start of every season. I'd be on eBay hunting for the old pairs all the time. Um, and I started coaching like somewhere around the island at some point in high school. Went from kind of like nothing to like ball boying to like more so like coaching younger kids um, and I really kind of found my niche working with the pre-academy age group so kids anywhere from like two really to like six or seven um, and just like really love working with that age group. I'm now stepping into a travel role with Chicago Kicks working with the 2015s so still on the younger side of things and I'm really excited. You coach in 2014. Oh, 2014. Yeah, <laughs> I love to see it, love to see it. But I also have worked, um, I'm a high school teacher, so I've worked with a few um, middle school teams in my process. So we're definitely gonna jump into kind of the difference of coaching those different age groups. Um, before we get into that, I am going to give a little bit of background on myself. I do this almost every episode, but my name is Stokely Davis. I've been playing soccer since I was three years old. And like Niall said, I started coaching when I was around 14 years old. Um, originally through a program called After School Matters. After School Matters brought in a bunch of us, um, just young men and women who loved playing soccer. And not only did they equip us with the ability to become coaches and get a free e-license, which you would typically have to pay, I think at that time it was like $150, um, but they also paid us to come to the classes. And so that was an amazing, amazing course. And from there, um, sadly the e-license was revoked. Um, which is a whole nother thing. That's why I had to go back and get my D license reinstated this year. But um, I've been coaching for now almost 11 years and I've worked with all age groups from literally 18 months all the way up to like ages of 18, um, all skill levels, 
but I find my sweet spot working with any ages 12 to 16. Um, I like to have a strong effect right before. Like, I think that age group, you know, you can kind of get in and change some of their bad habits, but it's a little bit early enough before they've gotten set in their ways. So that's a little bit about me. And uh, let's jog into the rest of this conversation. So you guys talked a little bit about some of your inspirations growing up playing soccer. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yours? I know you said we have Xavi, but it used to be Ronaldinho. We have so, Drago. So Ronaldinho is like the like OG, OG, OG for me. Okay. Like, I, he's the one who made me fall in love with the game. Like, I think just seeing this black man with this bright smile and long locks who is Brazilian who just played like it was the greatest liberation that you'd ever seen that was my him. exact reasons for loving Ronaldinho it, it, it didn't seem like he cared about how much he was getting paid it didn't seem like he cared if he was injured it didn't seem like he cared if the uh, what the other or who the other team was or what the circumstance, if it was a Champions League final or if he was going against, you feel me, uh, Real Sociedad, you feel me, he was still going to put on a show. And I just love seeing that. Like you said, that smile every game was just contagious. The smile and the samba and yeah. like, I'll never, like, that run that he had against Real Madrid where he scored that brace in the game in the Classico where like the Madrid fans like got up and like gave him an ovation. That's when it's just like, yo, like even the ops respect you, that's different, yo. That's different. And and people don't realize how crazy that was because he was the only person to have ever done that aside from I think I think it was uh Maradona or something somebody had done that before, but he was the only black man to ever do that you feel me like the spanish league where he did that is notoriously racist and for him to get a standing ovation by these fans they were like damn i can't i i'm sorry my, i'm sorry about my language they still like they had to respect his talent to that degree and that that's just insane so i definitely yeah. agree. i definitely agree what about a uh, dda drogba because I, 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 that was a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of young black men's idols growing up. I think for me, like, I first want to give a shout out to, like, y'all, as, like, especially like, growing up, like, like uh, yeah, I think especially, like, growing up playing soccer in Chicago, there were not that many, like, black coaches when we started. So, like, even just watching y'all be, like, a little bit older than, like, the younger people in our group, y'all get really good really fast. It felt like like that was a big inspiration to me to be like, okay, like they're only one or two years older than me. Like if they if they keep working, like I'm gonna catch up to where they're at. So I like definitely the home team, um, like our whole group of guys that like started playing like all around the same time, like would always like play together. Like there was only a certain point of me getting cooked where I was like, I'm okay with this. Like I had it. It was like I had to get somewhere. Like I'm done getting cooked. Um, so you I said, all right, I'm getting in the gym this summer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then I, like, I think for me, for Drog, like, it was a thing of, like, he was so strong. Mm. Like, and I think, like, in a way that he played on the ball, where he was just, like, it felt like he could never be dispossessed. Mm. Um, and it was just so, like, I also knew that there was, like, a certain pretty boy aspect to the way that he played that I loved. Like, I was really on that, like, oh, yeah. that boy swag stuff, like, it was like the slick back ponytail with the cornrows and the mercurials and like he was, was just clean. so swag. He was like clean. A, he was clean. He was so I love Drogba because like like you said that strength. It wasn't even just like on the field on the pitch. Like he exuded that everywhere. Like in his walk up, in his his post game interviews. This man like truly gave you like Ivorian king living in London. You feel me? Yeah. And like, I love that. I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Man, for me personally, I, I definitely would say my first like love soccer was Ronaldinho. Um, but honestly, who made me like get up and be like, all right, I can, I need to get raw was uh, Thierry Henry. I started watching my, man, my brother was a huge Arsenal fan and he started like really watching soccer a little bit before me. And so I was just watching Thierry Henry and I was like, 
who is this man? Like, insanely fast, insanely technical. Like, I don't think people like recognize how technically gifted he was just because they think, oh, he was fast and he could shoot. Like, he was insanely technical. Um, and yeah, just that was probably one of my first players. And I watched him go from Arsenal to um, Barcelona. And then that's really when I started watching Barcelona. Um, and then my favorite player now, like, well, I still have so many players, but the team, my team that I follow is Manchester City. Um, and I follow Manchester City because Yaya Toure, when he left, like, I followed Thierry Henry until I saw Yaya Toure play. And when I saw Yaya Toure play, that was like DDA Drogba mixed with Thierry Henry, mixed with Ronaldinho. He looked like the best player I had ever seen. And so oh, I followed him to Manchester, and I'm still a city fan. So yeah, I'll never forget. Y'all remember the um, the 2010 FIFA World Cup game? Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. I, I was Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bro, Yaya Toure was the best player in that game. Point blank. Yeah, right, Point blank. You talk about the World Cup game, right? G? Yeah. Yes, Yaya was different on that game, bro. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Man. You no, know, it was crazy. Like even like there was there were like some high school practices where like would be like, Nile, you trying to play like Yaya. And I'm like, yes, I am. Like, like yeah. What? Man, because Yaya was like, honestly, the prototype for the modern day soccer player. Like, this man was a technical, like, attacking center, attacking mid, who as he got older, just sh like understood his positioning and just slowly shifted back. Like, that's the only way he was able to play in all of those teams and still be effective. Like, he played a different position for every team he played for. For Barcelona, for um, Ivory Coast, for Manchester City's Pep, um, all of those teams. I'm sorry, before before Pep got there when he was playing for Manchester City with uh, Pellegrini and for um, Pep, he played a different position every single time. And it's like, the only way he could do that was having tech, like insane, like technical ex excellence, like perfection. You feel me? I think also like from a coaching perspective, like that speaks to a humbleness of like, are we teaching kids that like it is not about you it is about the team it's not about you it's about the team like because i've had kids that like come in at like very young ages and be like i only played this position mm -hmm. which is like crazy to me you're six you're six how do you tracker. only play one position bro yeah like maybe 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 you are a born goalie. Exactly. Ex Ooh, thank you. Every once in a while, I'll be like, you are a born goalie. I'm going to play you on the field so you develop your feet, but you are naturally a goalie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Outside of that, like one of the kids we have on our team who just switched to travel, I think we have two that are like, I think they are born goalies. I think they are. they will make their career, however far they go, playing goalie. Mm -hmm. outside and they, and they want to yeah mm -hmm. they have that desire and they have that awareness because like, playing goalie you have to have that decision first from a young age because you have to recognize hey i'm gonna throw my whole body at this ball and i might not even touch it you feel me and it's probably gonna hurt when i hit that ground but that's my job and i'm only i might do that three times this whole this whole game you feel me the rest of the time though i just got to be on point and waiting and like that takes a very very attuned mind and a very patient like very selfless like side of you to to do that you feel me and not not nearly every kid has that and you're the last line of defense yeah right so like that takes a lot of courage mm -hmm. to be able to embrace that and i think like you said like i think that's one of the things that i think as coaches we've been trying to like especially with kids like work on is making sure these kids get experience in every position mm. right so like even if like like if i'm in a game and i'm setting up a lineup i'm like okay like i'm aware enough of like what i want to be like okay i want you to play striker i want you to be my left back right but even if we're in the game i'm still gonna be like hey 
I'm gonna try putting you here mm-hmm. and let's see what happens. Cause them developing that versatility when they're young is gonna allow them to grow up and be like, hey, maybe some, maybe you're in a high school game or maybe you're in a really important club game and you're right back and it gets hurt. And coach is like, yo, you need to go play right yeah. back. I know you've been playing left back your whole back life, you but don't do it. You're going to be shook. That makes me think of the... So I remember watching you and Katan played on the same high school team. Yep. For, did you guys change positions when you guys got to high school? Definitely. Mm-hmm. So what happened was in high school, we didn't have uh, four players who could... Our, our defense didn't gel when we had four players. Um, we didn't have enough space to move around. And so we ended up taking one of the defenders out and we dropped to three. And so luckily enough, um, it was me. Uh, you guys know my friend Gary. Me and Gary yeah, played together. Gary the exactly. Gary and I have been playing since we were three years old. And then I don't know if you guys know my friend Bennett. Um, Bennett also played on Southside Fire um, when we were younger. Bennett was just a year over us. And so I got to like play with Bennett a couple times when I would play up. And so luckily, me, Gary, and Bennett had all played together for a long time. And so our chemistry okay. was just amazing in the back there. But um, the, the, I played center back in high school. So imagine that, you feel me? I spent my whole career playing right back or like left wing occasionally just so I could shoot, but primarily a right back, very like um, defensively minded. I played center back simply because I could connect those passes and I could interchange not only with Gary and Bennett on my right and left, so any one of them could switch into the center, but I could also move up and go and play that center D mid role and Katan could drop back and play in that center back role. So it was all four of us could just very cleanly rotate positions without really having to communicate it. And so we kind of just, they kind of just let us handle that. And then we we're like, everybody else focus on offense. So yeah, it was clean. It was clean. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Like, and once you understand like chemistry, once your team has chemistry, you can really do stuff like that. Like with my with my um my boys team right now, uh, I I actually just changed their formation last game, and so last season we were playing a two, three, one, and so for everybody who doesn't know, that means we were playing with two defenders in the back. Typically at um right now they're young, so they only play with seven players on the field. Every team has a goalie, so you don't count your team's goalie. So you only count the other six players on the field. So we had a two, three, one. So two defenders, three midfielders, and one striker. Most teams will have more defenders, so they'll go like a three, two, one, giving them just a, some more solid base in the back. But like I was just talking with Onam and Nile, because of the chemistry that my team had, the two defenders in the back were able to dribble and freely move. And so that, taking that third defender out allowed them just a lot more space to, to move along the back line and interchange. And also that gave us the benefit of being able to push forward another attacker. So now the crazy thing is, now we drop down to one defender. <laughs> we are, we're, we're wild, we're wild now. So we're, we're now doing a one, two, one, two. Um, so I have one one center back. I have two. I have a right back and a left back, but they're playing almost more like a right midfield and a left midfielder. Then I have a center defensive midfielder, purely center defensive midfielder. That's it. The farthest he's going to go up is maybe midway through the other team's half. Um, and then I have two strikers who just sit on that last line. And at this age. Like, man, we keep the team on the other, we keep the ball on the other team's half, like for 90% of the game. And that, like, that's how we end up winning games because teams get tired, especially at that young age, and they just start doing long balls. So they're just like, I'll just kick it as far as I can and get rid of it. And then my kids are sitting right there on the half line and they're just like, all right, I mean, I'll take a free shot. (laughs) So. Hurt, slight work. Yeah, but it all takes that chemistry because now, like, the only way we can do that is I can't even do that if, if my whole team's not there. Like, if my whole team's not there, if one of my players is missing, just because I know how much rotation is going to take, like, when they get tired, all of that stuff like that, if one of my players isn't there, I have to change formations. Yeah. But if I know my personnel, 
and they know their personnel and how are they feeling today and we talk about all that before the game you can truly do some amazing stuff even at a young age like there's there's sponges straight up sponges. yeah i think even with like the like eight-year-olds we have like they've been able like the like the group that's been playing together for almost a year and a half okay. they have built a type of chemistry where they really are able to like understand like each other's pos- like best positions and like what the type of movements that they want to play off of each other and like these are eight-year-old kids you know you wouldn't think that they would be able to have figured that out but like if you came and saw a game like they really are able to be like oh okay like i know where my right mid is gonna go i can play that we can do one two or we can switch it and then now we're even trying to like have we just had we just finished our indoor season in the winter and we were trying to get our goalies to like play with their feet indoors and they were doing it and they were doing it well and they were like doing it confidently and so i think that's one of the cool things about coaching too is like not limiting these kids you know if you can't you're confident enough in yourself what you're doing and you're able to build relationships with them like you can empower them to be capable of things they didn't even know they were and loki sometimes you didn't even know they were honestly all that takes is like the more self-knowledge like i'm learning the more that i learn how to decipher what i was doing as a player the better i am as a coach like now I, I do personal training and stuff as well because i just found that like personal training is like a constant challenge it pushes me to figure out like okay what is not not even necessarily the issue like what where is this kid currently at and how can i improve their game so if they're like nine years old you feel me like i'm not really going to be focused on like positional training i'm going to be focused on like general like all right maybe we're improving your turning your technique um dribbling all that stuff but when i start working with those older kids your 16 17s now i'm looking at positional training like okay you're a left wing how can i help a left wing be more creative in that position um and so i i've learned to like even just like with the drills and with explaining and breaking down like one thing now i do is like i'll look on youtube learn a move go back and just practice that move because i want to teach somebody how to do this move and how to be effective with that move and the best way to do it is to like teach them why you do a certain thing and so like i learned that by coaching my girls like if i could teach the young ladies why we do something they're going to replicate it every single time because they recognize that this that this here this input gives this successful output versus with my boys they may recognize that you feel me e- equals mc squared but they also want to just show you that they can do x y and z you feel me and so like and that was my only thing with like coaching boys and girls like i still do love coaching girls and boys but when it's younger i definitely do like like co- coaching girls more simply because like their application's a little bit faster um but i don't even know what we were talking about that's interesting though because i feel i've told them about this i feel like the question i ask most during sessions is why yeah yeah why why did this work why did you make this choice why are you jumping on your teammates back while i'm talking uh why are you taking a shot from midfield when you have players who are wide open on the right and the left of you like and they're able to answer that like even sometimes they don't want to like they're able to figure that out and I think once like I agree with you like once you get that in their head then they start thinking about that on their own and be like oh okay this is why this is effective this is why this isn't effective I think for me definitely like getting my masters in education made me such a better coach because it like really taught me how to explain stuff mm. like no matter what the thing was like how to explain it and i really think it was like a moment last year when i was teaching math because it's like i know more about soccer than i know about math it was fifth grade math i know far more about soccer than i do about fifth grade math but i was like i've taught my myself the art of like in an hour or so learning something and then learning how to teach that mm. 
Uh, I really think that, like, like you said, Sophie, like there is an art to that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, learn something yourself. It's one thing to learn something yourself, and then it's another thing to like learn how to teach it. And then I, I want another thing that you guys were talking about about like chemistry is like that's one of the things I love coaching um, the middle school team that I coached last year when I was doing my student teaching. Mm-hmm. Is like they're just so funny. Like oh, yeah. our girls was terrible. Like we were a terrible soccer team. We lost every single game. But these girls came to practice every single day with a smile on their face, goofing around. There was like one day, like it was at the very beginning of the spring Chicago season, which like for any of the listeners, if you're not from Chicago, that means it's like 35 degrees. In yeah. and, like, the girls 35 were, like, and snowy. <laughs> tripping and falling in the mud, pushing each other in the mud. And it's just like, it's so much fun. So yeah. like, I just think that's I like you can tell the difference when a team really likes each other. Like, I always think about like last chance you and like two seasons ago where he was like, we won this game because the kids liked each other. Yeah. Like, I can think of so many moments like that where it's just like, we won this game or we tied this game because the kids have a love for each other and they know each other as players and as people. Yeah. 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 They want to work hard for each other. Exactly. And they fight for each other. And they want to compete with each other and for each other. But I think that that weird distinction is like, I think it's, okay, I'm sorry. I'm contemplating through stuff as I'm talking. Um, I think it's weird because I think girls are able to make that distinction a little bit faster than boys. I think that young ladies understand that, hey, we're on the same team and we're fighting for each other. Um, and so they're able to rally and cheer for each other a little bit quicker than young men. Um, typically what I noticed is young men see it as a lot more competitive, even amongst themselves. Um, they'll, they'll see like, oh, if he can do that move, why can't I do that move? Versus instead of like, oh, he can do that move. Oh, great job. You can do that move. Now can you show me how to do that move? And I think that bit of competitiveness that starts at that young age, um, if we can kind of like change that into like more camaraderie, I think that you can honestly build the team chemistry a lot faster because with my team this year, that, that was something I tried to focus on. Um, having worked with many boys and girls teams in the past, I noticed that like that, co- that competitive spirit um, would start at the beginning of the season. And so this season, like one of the first things I did, I started at the end of practice and we would all go around and rate our own practice. And so like I would have the kids would rate them, would rate themselves in front of each other. And then I'd ask them all how I did. And by just doing that, they all saw like, okay, I seen him starting at a seven. By the end of the season, I see him consistently bringing it up to an eight or a nine or a 9.5, or he had a couple tens in there. And that alone shows the boys that like, all right, we have to work together to come up versus like, oh, he had a 10. Because what, what, what inevitably happens is the first couple of practices, everybody says they had a 10. Oh, I had a 10, I had a 10, I was perfect, I was perfect, I was perfect. And so then as a coach, I was like, okay, I think you did great, but I would actually, I don't even say what I would lower it to. I would lower it because of this, this, and this. Or I, I think you need to work on this, this, and this. So now what would you say? And then they give you a new rating. And as they start to understand that and they see their peers going through the same thing, they recognize that it's okay to be flawed. And I think that that's a a general issue that we as young men have is that we think that we have to be so good and our parents are rooting for us and their parents tell us, oh, you're the best, you're the best, you feel me? And so when we go up against other kids and we recognize like, oh man, what's going on? Like, because of that, we don't have that strong emotional regulation yet. It's just like, what's going on? And we just break down and start crying. And so... I try to equip my kids with at least the the understanding of like, all right, let's get the mental awareness of what's going on around me. How can I improve? And if I, if maybe it's something I, I can't do today, but maybe that's something I need to bring it back to coaching. Maybe it's my left foot passing. And so every time we do a passing drill, coach remind me that I need to be on my left foot. But putting that accountability on them, I feel like takes away the competitiveness. I feel like it's definitely a thing of like, are you as a coach committed to like using coaching as a social tool, like mm-hmm. in a tool of activism, or are you just coaching to win games? 
and like I think I've been around coaches that like were coaching us to be like I'm just trying to win this game and I think I've also had coaches that was like I'm trying to develop young men like I do not care if we win or lose um like I think about the coach I had later in high school and he was a very very intense man but like I generally don't think he cared about if we we won or lost like I don't think and like in the times that I've been back to my high school like he's not brought up like anything related to soccer he was like I'm proud of you the man you've become and I feel like that is a thing where like I definitely be disappointed in some of the other coaches that I have around me sometimes where I'm like I don't know if you're committed to developing like better young men and better young women and more socially aware people in the world or if you're just like I'm here to develop like kids that are going to win soccer games yeah. and I mean that's like intentional choice to commit to that um and not everyone makes that choice so I really appreciate you saying that you know what's crazy um one of my best coaches aside from Marlon um Marlon taught me this saying that I still use today Marlon taught me the saying that the most important play is the next one I tell my kids that every single day every single goal that we get scored every single goal that gets scored on us I'm yelling out the ne- the most important play is the next one zero zero just because I want that to be their mentality that we're always attacking at our full strength regardless because we need to have that mentality that we're at a level playing ground no matter who we're going up against um but I had coach Rico at, at uh, Southside Fire one year and I remember he used to always say like he ooh he was so intense and he would be like dang near cussing you out in Russian or whatever Slovakian Croatian whatever he was you feel me sure. but that man he would say one thing that always stuck in my head he would say you have to want to get better and i and he, ooh, he would say it so many like i didn't understand it at the time but he would be like every drill while we're doing you have to want to get better you have to want to get better like you can't just be going through the drill like you have to want to be doing this drill in this moment to be trying to get better for this weekend and like now like taking that mentality like that's something i say to my kids now all the time and i know that they probably have the same reaction that i did like oh I don't get it up there. But every once in a while, it'll click. Even if it's just for 5 minutes, even if it's just two or three kids, like they'll have that moment where it's like, "Oh, wow, like this is a, a a small moment in time that God has allowed me and my friends to step into and do something I love, and not only do something I love, but to get better at doing something I love with somebody who cares about." And and that's a, a, a truly a sacred space to be in. Like I think as humans that's all we're really here to do is to pass on knowledge to the next generation. And so like like you said like are you here in this moment to pass on knowledge because there's knowledge that can happen in wins and there's knowledge that can happen in losses or are you here to win a game and make it all about you and look good in front of the coaches of uh, the parents on the sideline. Like and I think that's like I love that point about coaching being a sacred space yeah. because I really truly believe that and I think as much as like you have a coach having had like a really good playing career once you're a co- once you start coaching that's a whole different space it's a whole different world and there is a giant level of humbling that you need to bring to that space and the most important thing is not the career that you've had as a player is about how are you as a human being going to make the kids that are in your care that your players first and foremost better human beings and yep. that was the thing that like as signing on to be a club coach like it was funny like in our first meeting like Matt Miller is our director. He told me he was like, "Look, our priority is developing these kids. It's not wins or losses." And at first, I was like, "Yeah, y'all saying that, but like, you know, I'm trying to be young. Like, y'all don't really mean that for real." But as I started coaching last year and we started having games, especially the games where we got like destroyed, I it really, I really lived that. I really lived that. Like, I am prioritizing their development. And I don't care if we beat a team 8-0 or if we lose 8-0. The the principles that I'm trying to instill in y'all and that we're trying to work on are going to remain the same. And 
I'm going to keep coming with that same energy regardless of the outcome. And I want that for them too. Mm-hmm. And I think it was beautiful to see that zero, with, zero mentality. Yeah. It was beautiful to see with one of our teams at the end of our fall season in the final game. And this game was going to be for us to like win the title. We were losing 4-0 at the end of that game. Uh, and we came back and won that game 5-4. Wow. And for the, to show for the kids to like embody everything that we've been trying to instill in them th- throughout the season in that game, like that was just like a really beautiful moment to me to be like, look, it doesn't matter how much you're down, you gotta keep going, mm-hmm. you gotta keep wanting to get better, you gotta keep fighting through it, you gotta keep bringing that positive energy to your teammates, and look, you never know what can happen with it. And I think I it's, like, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I think it was kind of like what, what you were just saying, though, on um, like very much what Niall just touched on is like you have to be willing to make yourself small and like give up your ego. And like because it does hurt, like people think like, oh, my team lost and I'm just going home and I'm chilling. No, I'm at home. Like, dang, why do we lose? Like, was it something yeah, that like was it something like I taught them? What was I moving their positions too much? Was it the formation? Like, I ponder that for real, and like I come and I come at it differently. And so it's it's literally releasing, and that, and that took me years to understand. Like, it's releasing that ego. And now I, I have a conversation with with my parents at the beginning of every season, and I tell the parents, hey, the game is the season is this many games. I'm telling you. The first three or four games, we're probably going to lose. No, no, no. Typically now, I don't know. Now I say the first two games we're probably going to lose. The second two games we're probably going to tie. Because, and I tell the parents, it's like this. I'm like, the kids are learning each other. I'm learning the kids. The kids tell me they want to do one thing, but their inclinations say something else. And then it's also like a lot of tinkering with the formations, figuring out how are we truly going to develop these kids to be the best in the future. And once we figure that out, and the, which will only happen after it's been tested, which is, so once we've taken four tests, four games, now I now that's when I tell the parents, now that's when you guys can actually start looking at me and everything that we're doing as a coach. Because everything before that is me figuring out the holes and the, the small things so that I can build this net of a team, you feel me? Because everybody has different flaws and how can I cover those for our team? Once I've figured those out, now I can actually build us out as a team. So I, I tell parents at the beginning of every season, we're probably gonna lose the first couple of games, but after that, it ain't happening. So. <laughs> so you know, I feel like at least in, like there's one specific story that came up from what you guys were saying about like making yourself smaller. Like there was a game we had in the fall I was like covering in, like I was working a lot with the 2014s and 2015s for kicks, like I just as like an assistant. Um, and there was a game we had and the coach from the team we were playing literally like was like cursed out the ref. Like in front of both teams, in front of the parents, like this, these are seven, like seven year olds. Like it is not that deep. Like I, I'm sorry, like, there's nothing you can do. Like, I'm gonna take a call is really bad. I'd be like, ref, you made the wrong call. Like, it's a curse at the ref, but it's like, you made this whole experience, this whole ordeal about you. And then I had to be like, I had to put my kids on be like, we don't do that. Like, I don't care if we're down 15 goals. We don't argue with the ref. And I think for me, like, that was something I did a lot as a player. <laughs> I did that a ton as a player, though. And now I'm just like, it doesn't matter what I did as a player. I'm trying to make y'all better than I ever yeah. Which means, like, yep. if I made this mistake, we're not going to make this mistake. Like, this I tell my kids, mistake. don't talk to the ref all the time. I'm like, if there's an issue, it's my job to argue with the ref. So if anybody's going to not show up for the next game because they were arguing with the ref, it's going to be me. I'm like, if one of you guys gets a card for arguing with the ref, I'm gonna sit you down for the rest of the year. Because at that point, like, it's not, it's more of, it's less about them standing up for themselves. Because I do want them to stand up for themselves, I believe me. But I want them to learn restraint. At the same time, like, there's going to be people, other players, other teams who try to egg them on or try to hit them or get angry and stuff like that. And by them doing the simple act of, 
I can't even complain to the ref. That like, it, it shows just a little bit of restraint. Now when they're complaining, they have to come over to me. And if you're my right wing, you think you're coming all the way over to me complaining about something? No, you're going to finish that half out and talk to me at halftime. And so it just it just keeps them in that mentality of like, all right, man, look, I got to make the most out of what I can do. You feel me? And that, man, man, this is a great conversation, seriously. Um, that gets me going, though, on like, I know we said one thing we we're going to get into was like being black playing in Chicago. Yeah, let's talk about it. Like, I definitely think like, being on like predominantly black or like relatively diverse teams playing like predominantly Latinx teams and the anti-blackness that we experienced oh, yeah. like was awful like I remember playing like Sorario and Juarez and like back of the yards especially like there was one particular year at Jones where like we were good like we were we were a good team like we made it to the city semifinals um and we beat we beat either Solorio or Juarez, and we were not supposed to beat them. Mm-hmm. Like, Jones at soccer is not supposed to beat one of those schools. Um, and the amount of N-words I got called oh, yeah. in that game, I couldn't count them. And it was just a thing of, like, I had to be such, like... And it's like the refs hear it, too, but they're not doing anything about it. And the crazy None thing is, like, if you say anything to them, it's over with. Like, I, I experienced the same thing at Kenwood, and it was crazy because, um, man, it was really interesting. One year, uh, I mean, there was like two years we were actually really, really good. Um, but one of those years, the, the first year, my junior year, I had invited a lot of my friends to, to play soccer. Um, people who typically were playing like travel soccer and stuff like that didn't really play for their high school. So that was the year me, Katan, everybody was on the team. Um, so we had a great team. We actually invited some of our friends who were like from other countries. And so we had a foreign exchange student playing on our team that year. Um, we actually, we had uh, two people who never played organized soccer, but they're both like African, grew up playing in Africa, came to America and they, were, they, they had moved to America like, I think like a little bit before like freshman year. So they are here for a, for a little bit, but still hadn't really played organized soccer. Um, they were calling one of the young African kids in uh inward you feel me and he was so upset because he had never experienced that you feel me like he ran up to the ref and he was yelling at the ref cursing at the ref blah 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 blah. and literally it started a whole brawl because apparently the ref was the older brother of one of the kids on the on the hispanic team we were going against that's why we weren't getting any, any calls And so then the kid comes over, slams into the African kid who was getting in the ref's face, and it starts just a whole brawl. And it was just like, I mean, but that was what we were honestly up against a lot of the time being, I mean, sometimes I was one of the two or three black kids on a team of 20 people, you feel me? And we go all season long and be the only three black people we saw that whole season. (laughs) Like, so it, it... it's a beautiful thing now, though, because like you said, like to have coaches and to be stepping in and seeing new, new young players and stuff like that, just the the representation really matters, man. Like it's showing people that it's a possibility. Like, I think that's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's a wild thing to like be going out to the suburbs and bringing my team and bringing everything that I am, uh, and like my teams are my teams are pretty diverse, uh, and we'll be playing these teams with white coaches and all white kids, and I'm just like like that. There's something about that that's just like it reminds me of like the pop the power in just like the presence that I have and that I bring, and especially like. You talked about coaching toddlers. Uh, when when I started coaching toddlers, I did not like it at all. I was like, I feel like I'm not coaching the game. I feel like I'm not teaching. I look feel like I'm babysitting. Mm-hmm. But now, I think especially like being an uncle and like having over like having much more of an appreciation for toddlers. I think about like going into a toddler session and being like, 
I'm the first coach this little black kid has ever had. Exactly. Like, exactly. That's and at the end of the day, like, with toddlers... I get to introduce them to this thing that I love. That's such a giant part of me. That's and, like, key. instill that love in them. And, like, now I have kids who I coached on their first teams ever when they were, like, seven who are now playing in high school and who are still playing and are playing for kicks. And just to see that, like, that shows me, like, yo, like, I really did have an impact. Yeah, that's, that's that such a beautiful thing. thing. And that's amazing. Like, that's such, that's the biggest reward. Mm-hmm. That's bigger than a trophy. That's bigger than getting paid. That's, that's the biggest thing to me. I, I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I have kids, like, I've been coaching now, like I said, for 11 years, and I have, I can think of a couple kids specifically who every, like, almost every year I, we touch base, and the, just hearing now, like, oh, yeah, this kid made their high school varsity team, and they're playing in the position that you said they were probably going to be playing when they got older, and they're doing a great job at it. Like, I love hearing stuff like that. Or when, like, when they come back and they're like, yeah, man, they're, they're now starting to referee or coach just because they, they loved you, having you as a coach when they were younger. Like, all of that stuff is, like you said, it just shows that it's a possibility. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been places like coaching in these rural, suburban areas of Georgia and Texas and all this other stuff. Bro, and these these parents and stuff like that will see me pulling up in my, in my Yeezy slides, you feel me, and looking and my little chain on and stuff and they'd be like who is this dude you feel me and then by the way that i handle myself on the field by the time i'm walking off i'm not only having my team or the the team i'm playing against i'm having the other parents that were sitting on the other field coming over to me like hey can you do personal training with my kid i love the way you handled that session like and that's all because of like the energy and the love that I'm showing and putting into every interaction with the kids. And that shows them that, hey, there's love in this sport. All right. So we do have to wrap it up. We're gonna have, we got maybe like four or five more minutes uh, that we could do on this. Um, I want to first shout out a couple different um, major different uh, podcast, socials, all that stuff. You want to talk about uh, Progressive? Yeah, Progressive Soccer is a YouTube channel uh, that I watch a lot uh, and definitely gives me inspiration for sessions and also just like for things uh, for me to do on my own. Uh, And so love Progressive Soccer, love the MLC. Uh, He has a really great YouTube channel as well that does really great work. I also just quickly want to give a shout out to like mentors so like matt miller uh really put me and onam on uh in giving us the opportunity to like grow with kicks uh and become like where i'm at now so love the mat uh and then also like dan johnson who we co-coach with he's been a really like just great mentor he played for west ham united he played for chicago fire and like He's coaching 2015s, 2014s with us, and he's just been like a really awesome person to work with and to have in our corner. Uh, yeah, I'm glad that you shouted out mentors. Um, definitely, I, I, when we get around to me, I'll shout my mentor out too. But I was recently learning about the difference between a mentor and an advisor. Um, an advisor is somebody who maybe gets paid to talk about or has learned extensively about the sport but never did it themselves versus a mentor is somebody who's been in the place that you are trying to be and they and they offer that that excellence to help bring you up to the next space so mentors in every space are huge but especially when you're coaching because like soccer it's straight up a lived experience and you have to be able to talk through like man like one of my current mentors um I'm sorry, Onam. Oh, I didn't mean to jump off into the tangent. But one of my current mentors down here, um, he's a, a guy named Matt. And Matt and me will literally sit down after sessions and I'll just be like, hey, here's how my last game went. Here's what I saw. Um, can you maybe help me figure out how to fix this? And because he's been coaching for 20, 30 years, all different types of age groups, different levels and stuff like that, he can easily, quickly identify, oh, yeah. That's because you had this player here instead of this. 
if you move him here, he'll naturally do this. And, and it's just an amazing conversation when they've been in that spot before, you know? So, oh no, let's hear it. Who do you want to shout out? I'll give a, a big shout out to you, Stokely, Nile. Like this is a really amazing, really dope conversation. Also, I want to give a big shout out to Matt for me on my first coaching opportunity. I just want to give a big personal, like, as a big, like, sneakerhead and soccer fan. Like, let's just give a shout out to, like, Nike Cleats from 2008 to 2012. Man, <laughs> man, <laughs> every one of them was too clean. Don't make them the same anymore. Bro. So we started talking about, like, Ronaldinho and Chavi and John Blair and Terry Henry at the beginning of the conversation, like, they're, like, they just don't make cleats that clean anymore. Mm-hmm. I never <laughs> that's very that's man we gonna have a whole another episode about just the growth of soccer and how soccer's fashion has changed everything from the football cleat to everything man but because i swear the, psg can't find their way to a champions league semi but they, they have, stay jordan up okay. exactly you <laughs> feel me exactly but um so for me personally uh i'm gonna shout out some of my favorite groups um in terms of soccer fashion, uh, I always default to my favorite group. They're really truly doing some like innovation, innovative stuff. Kit Boys Soccer, um, they do everything from your soccer themed umbrellas for when you're sitting game side and you want to have a clean umbrella at the at the stadium, you feel me? So they have new types of, they really focused on building out what it would look like to be a young lady who loves soccer and what, how would you dress? What does that fashion look like? And that's not something that I think is uh, truly focused on. So big shout outs to Kit Boys. Um, another one, Five Aside Pod a group of young black men here in America that get together every other week and do an amazing, amazing podcast. And they typically talk about like what's more like the new ongoings in soccer. So if you are interested in soccer, that's a great place to go check it out. And then last but not least, um, Gold Diggers, G-O-A-L Diggers. Um, it's a group of young ladies. I love their podcast. Man, their banter, their, their chemistry on that podcast is is amazing. I love just listening to it. And not only do they talk about soccer, but they talk about just a lot more, just general life stuff. And they'll they'll keep you interested, laughing. It's a great um, background podcast to throw on while you're working or something like that. So once again, thank you, thank you, thank you, Onam and Niall. Thank you guys for being here, man. Um, we're definitely gonna have to have you guys back on again. I appreciate this conversation. And uh, yeah, anything else you guys wanna say? Albert, love you. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you, gang. Thank you guys, man. That's it for this episode of Coaching Confidence. We'll see you guys next Monday. All right.